are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. I hate travel mugs. Oh. I only want to drink my coffee out of my mug. So I put it in a travel mug and I brought my mug. This is ridiculous. I'm going to try to pour. Anyways, I hope he's comfortable sitting in Beth's seat today. <laughs> there he is. Hey. Hey, Josh. Hey. Good morning, good morning. How are you doing, hon? Good. Okie dokie. This should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> This is your first podcast, Grandpa? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, this is fun. Yes. Is it? This is fun. Really? Without Beth, how do you feel? Oh, I'm kind of relying on you to be Beth. Okay. We're like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> so you're Kate today. Yes. Like or cat or Katrina or <laughs> whatever you would prefer. <laughs> Let's just go rogue. We're not even going to introduce ourselves today. <laughs> Let's just go rogue. You know, Beth always does the the bio the bio part. I I can do the bio. Go for it. Okay. Just tell us about growing up in Salem. A little bit about your family. Okay. Well, Were you a Quaker? No. No. I'm the other side of the family. Uh, we were I just me- thought Salem was all Quakers. Methodist. We went to the Methodist. But my mother and dad didn't go to church. They went okay. when I was small, when I was born. I was baptized in the church, I guess. But there was remarks made to my mother about she wears about the same dress every Sunday and that they just decided not to go. <gasps> so that's what I heard. Wow. When I was just turned six years old, I had my feet burnt real bad. Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask about this. Oh, okay. Specifically. Well, it started out my, what I remember, you know. I yeah. Think, uh, by not listening to my dad, it was a Sunday, the first Sunday in May, 1943. So I just turned six. And at that time, Salem had a dump. You took your trash to the dump, and it burned. It was a city dump, and it just burnt. And you went out, and you threw your trash over the hill and that. And my dad had cleaned out the basement and had some boxes to take to the dump. So I went with him, and uh, we got out there at the dump, and I remember he had set the boxes out of the trunk of the car, and of course, at that days, the cars had running boards on them, and he told me to sit on the running board, and he took a couple boxes and threw over the side. A car pulled in, and it was a fella he knew, so he went over and talked to him, and there was a small box sitting there. I remember picking up the small box, and I thought, I can throw it over the edge. So I start walking over, and when I got about six feet from the edge, the ground gave away. And I f- fell into the uh, red-hot ashes and fire into the pit up to my knees. Oh, my gosh. And I jumped back out. I, g- I crawled, got out, I know. But I had like um, a rubber-based sole canvas and thick rubber shoes that burnt the rubber right off the bottom of my feet. Just as I got to the running board, of course, my dad heard me scream. He came and seen me and grabbed me and threw me in the front seat of the car and drove me as fast as he could back to town. I remember him carrying me up the steps to the house. 
My mother said, what happened? He said he got burnt. And so our doctor was out of town. And, of course, then they didn't take you to the hospital. You went to the doctor's office. And so I went to a Dr. Leewald. I can remember him pulling off the blisters <gasps> off my feet. Our doctor came to town, and my dad went and bought me a, a bought a wagon with the slats that came out, the old farm wagon-like little red wagon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother would take me to Dr. Crouchy, and we lived on 2nd Street. She would pull me in that wagon down to his office on Pershing in Lincoln. He would change my bandage. He'd come out and carry me up the steps into his office, change my bandage. I think it was a week or two weeks every day, three times a day, he did that. And then it went to two times a day. And I know, I can remember he said, you know, he might have to wear braces or crutches all his life. He might not really walk by himself again. He had a friend in, uh, in the Army, and he got in touch with sulfur drugs. And that's when the sulfur drugs came out. And somehow he got it. There was three types I know. I know there was like a, there was powder, sulfur, and then there was like a paste. And I can't remember what the other one was. I'm not sure if it was a spray or what. But I used those sulfur drugs that he got from the Army. I can remember him saying I was one of the first in Salem to use sulfur drugs. But, At six. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, I uh, started elementary school on crutches. That was in wow. September. Wow. And- and Dr. Crouchy had me put marbles on the floor. My mother put marbles on the floor and pick them up with my toes for exercise and drop oh, them yeah. in a coffee can. Physical therapy. Oh, my goodness, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what he had me that's doing. So I can remember funny. that. Yeah. 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 That's interesting with the sulfa drugs from the Army. Yeah. Because that's during World War II, right? Right. Right at the right. end of World War II, yeah, right? Yeah, in the middle of World War II, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how wars tend to progress medicines. Yeah. You know, because right. you have to adapt because of all of the casualties. And so and you were one of the first to get it from, from the civilian side. He had, huh? he had a connection to get it. Wow. I, you know, I went to him, you know, oh, every week for I don't know how long. He uh, was raising hamsters. And he had talked to my mother and dad. Uh, he, the last time I went, he said, this is probably I'm not going to have to see you. You're pretty well healed. But he said, I got something I'd like to give you, he said, if you would want. <laughs> and uh, he uh, took me downstairs in the basement, and my mother and dad, of course. And there he had a cage. And he said, I have a pair of hamsters here I'd like to give you. He gave me the cage and everything. And yeah. your parents were like, yeah, that's great. Or <laughs> <laughs> They were with it. No, no, were it was, they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, so uh, kind. Yeah. It was, so I remember that. But Do you have siblings? No, I was the only child. Really? Yeah. Have you had issues with your feet since then? I always sprained them real uh, easy when I was playing basketball, and, and they're cold. They they got cold all the time. Man. But you got a hamster out of it. But I got a pair of hamsters. <laughs> a pair of hamsters. <laughs> yeah. They made it and had young. And, but uh, they had a, a hamster farm. Yeah. Well, that was quite an intro. I was going to say, welcome, <laughs> Shine Podcast <laughs> listeners. I'm just going to go with Kate. It's Kate. It's Josh. Beth is not with us this morning. We miss her smiling face, but we're going to try to carry on. It's going to be great because I I have the privilege of interviewing my grandpa, (laughs) Mr. John Earhart. Yeah, (laughs) so good. I'm really excited for this one because I feel like, as we've seen already, there's such great stories that come out of old men. Amazing lives. <laughs> I love it. Good stories. So yeah, we're interviewing John Earhart today. Thank you for coming in. And thank you for coming in even though Beth's not here. <laughs> and rescheduling <laughs> multiple times. Exactly. So you were born April 23rd, 1937. 
in Salem, Ohio, and went to school there all through uh, high school. Nineteen fifty-five when you graduated. Yes. Okay. You play any sports? I played football. Grandpa's largely responsible for why I love sports. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really Lots of baseball. I remember when yeah. I was growing up, oh, yeah. going to baseball games with you Yeah, down in Florida. When we, we lived in Florida for 10 years, and uh, they had uh, St. Louis Cardinals has their, well, it's Class A ball team in St. Pete's that time. Oh. And so I love baseball, and I... Big spender, I think, at that time, they cost like $75 for the year or something oh like that. Oh, my gosh. And you went along. We took Josh down there one time. We said, down there, yeah. Yeah, yeah put some pictures. He, he got two baseballs, and, but I still got them. I never did give you the baseballs. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Kept those suckers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then also golf. I got into golf because of you and oh. Uncle Eric. Yeah. You also golf. Yeah, I try. Yeah. <laughs> when did you pick that sport up? Probably when I was a junior in high school. In the neighborhood, there was a couple guys, but they caddied out at the Salem Golf Course. I never caddied. But then we start going, They during the summer, we'd go down to Valley in Columbiana to go. Love Valley. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And uh, we would Real go down there, and I think it was like $2 a day. As long as you want it, you know. I feel like it's still two dollars a day. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be there from dusk to dawn. I don't know how many holes we play, but we'd be all day. I, I love baseball. I played uh, baseball. I started with the American Legion in Salem when I was in eighth grade, and I was one of the youngest players to play. And I played till I was seventeen. Or was hoping to go at that time. Salem had what they call the Salem Merchants, with like a semi-pro team. But the year before. I turned 18. They disbanded. But finally, I missed baseball. I said, okay, they talked me into it. My cousin Tom talked me into playing a team with him. So it was fast pitch. I played that until, I don't know, until my ankles got bad. And if I went to play ball, the next morning I couldn't walk. So I had to give up playing ball. I started back up playing slow pitch my late 30s. I played uh, for the church leagues we was in and I played here at the upper room when we had a team down here, and my wife finally made me quit. She said, it's time enough to quit now. I was 65 years old, <laughs> so I kill it. But my favorite season was probably my last season was when uh, I was pitching, and my son-in-law, Dave Osborne, was playing second base, and my grandson, Josh, was catching. Mm. That was yeah. the best time. Yeah. Remember that? That was the best time. The family yeah. affair. Yes. That's so yeah. good. You know, hindsight's always better. I had two chances to play football. I had a scholarship for Kent State. I had a scholarship for Presbyterian College in South Carolina. I turned them both down. I heard how much writing you had to do, and <laughs> I'm a poor speller. So how many jobs did you have? Oh, boy. The funny part is the first few jobs I never even applied for. They came for me. <laughs> a couple of guys, like I said, I used to play golf with. The one kid, his dad was a superintendent of a div- division of the Salem China Company. My dad came over and said, hey, uh, if uh, you want a job, he said, uh, Bill Stark called and said that he could use it to Salem China. And this was about probably about three weeks after I graduated high school. So that's how I got my first job. And I worked there and was a kill drawer there. And then from the, there, I, my insurance agent at the time, he was after me to sell insurance. So I said, I've never sold anything. So anyhow, long story, I went to s- sell insurance. I sold insurance for about six years. And 
Then I went from there, I went to uh, uh, Ravana Arsenal and drove high lift there and handled 50 pound boxes of TNT and Oh, it's nothing like it sitting in the second floor and uh, oh. watching a 50-pound box of TNT fall to the down oh, below. Okay, <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Which happened. <laughs> it was neat uh, when I got to the, what was called the back line. Of course, it kept you away from every place in case that blew up and didn't blow the whole place up. You know? Just you. Just yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> we was up on a, it was a shakeout where they, TNT came in and 50-pound boxes was in a cardboard box and it was in, in a brown bag all folded up and it came in boxcars and it came from Canada. Two guys in the boxcars, which were like 150 yards away. And, and they had conveyors that brought it up to the shakeout, which is two stories high. And it came up on conveyors. I worked as a uh, time study clerk. Then uh, I uh, uh, got a job as a supervisor. They had to send stuff to Chicago every weekend to process to data entry. And so they had to run it through the big computer up at Crane in Chicago. And they had a college kid to do it. Well, when he couldn't do it, they'd ask for volunteers. And I told the one, one supervisor, I said, hey, if you ever need somebody and can't find somebody, throw my name in there. I got a call. I, I took the up to Chicago. You, I had like eight or nine boxes to take on the way up and that. And come back, I'd have 21 boxes of stuff. Flying to Chicago on Friday, take it down to Crane Company. I did it for the one time. Then uh, the next month, they called me and said, uh, can you do it for a couple of weeks? I said, yeah. I did it for the next couple of weeks and turned into be a year and a half. I did every weekend. You, to Chicago and to back. To Chicago and back, yeah. So what year was that that you were that? Doing was, that was uh, 1977 when I... So 1960-something significant happened. Uh, yeah, I was working at the pottery. A woman working at the pottery, she knew I took pictures. And she asked me if what it would take to come down. She lived in Slainville to come down to Slainville and take pictures of her in her Halloween costume for the flower, uh, the garden clubs she was in. And I thought, and I thought, okay, I could do that. I said, a spaghetti dinner, which I knew she uh, made good spaghetti. And I said, I knew she had a daughter. And I said, a, a date with your daughter. And she said, well, I can get you the spaghetti dinner, but you'll have to talk to my daughter about the date. And I never met her daughter, never seen a picture picture of her, never knew her. Halloween, October 31st, 1957, I went down to take pictures and have a spaghetti dinner. I started up these steps, and my future mother-in-law was standing at the top of the steps. And she said, come on up. And I got up to the steps, and I came up into the dining room. And over along the wall, this girl was standing. And this is a absolute truth i can remember like it was yesterday i thought to myself i hope that's her it was i think my father-in-law had this plan he had taken his car down to get the oil changed at a gas station there and he said would you mind walking with arla down to the gas station to get my car we walked whole length of sleeveville almost across the railroad tracks and we talked of course and i remember like i said it was halloween then I asked her if she wanted to go to a football game with me the next night. And she, I said, we'd double date with a friend of mine, she said. Now, there's a lot more to that story, but I'll right. leave it there. <laughs> well, I think it's so fascinating. I mean, that's just the beginning. Yeah. But the rest is beautiful, beautiful history. Yeah. The bio says you guys were married for 59 and a half yeah. years. Yeah. 
And you had a beautiful family, three girls, two boys. Yeah, two boys. The last boy, Kurt, was stillborn. And that's when we stopped going to church for a while. You had 10 grandkids. Yeah. Seven great grandkids. Yes. And you've got some hobbies. Yeah. I like sports, playing or listening (laughs) and watching. I do like to mess around with woodworking, and I start uh, paint again. Since the COVID hit last year, I start to paint landscaping again, and now I, I've been told I have to make about 17 paintings. To oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a hobby anymore. It's yeah. a job. Yeah. It's a yeah. job. Yeah, I sit up a room in the basement and start to do that. And you guys have been members at the Upper Room since 1996? We were in the first class years. of the membership drive. Okay. At your dad's place. No way. Remember when we used to stop there? Uh, no, but I have a terrible memory. <laughs> I can't remember anything. We would, uh, your dad was holding the classes for membership. And uh, I think, I believe it was a Wednesday night. I think it was at 6.30 the classes started. It was about an hour of that. And uh, we'd come there and we stopped there. And so we got to be one of the first in the membership. So interesting. Yeah. Al, and it was my mom and dad. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Your mother always had something good to nibble on. I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, for sure. She still does. <laughs> yeah. She still has great things yeah. to nibble on. Yeah, she. So, Grandpa, let me take over as Beth here for the questions. Oh, here, yeah, so. sure. <laughs> okay. Who or what turned your light on? Actually, my wife, Arla. Uh, like I said earlier, my mother and dad went to the Methodist Church in Salem, and things were said, and they just quit going. My mother and dad always believed. I knew I, I'm positive of that. My mother always had a Bible laying out, but we just didn't go to church. After I met Arla, uh, after we dated a couple of weeks, she said, would you want to go to church with me on Sunday? And I said, okay. She went to the Methodist Church in Slainville. So I drove down. We went to church. And that's how I really started going to church and that. How did it feel being back? It was really strange because I never, I didn't really been in a church except for a wedding or something right. like that there. But, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what to do even in that fall along. The Methodists are pretty quiet, but yes. we were there and, and that. We were married there. The, the preacher there and his wife, they were young, I think the and we had our wedding. It was his first big wedding, and he was as nervous as I was. <laughs> so did it become like an attending thing for you, or did oh, yeah. you get involved and get to know people? Well, I knew a lot of the people there because it was a small church, and we I went pretty regular. The trouble was when I got to be a kill drawer, I worked seven days a week. Even coming back to church, though, and beginning to attend with Arla, like when did it become real for you? You know, yeah. there's a difference between I attending... I, I know after we married, instead of going to Slingville every Sunday, we would go to start going to the Methodist Church and that. It was a little more real in that then, and then, of course, start have the kids in that. In uh, 1972, when Kurt was stillborn, things were said at the church mm. that a couple of women made a met to my wife. Well, first of all, the pastor never came to us or anything. Now, at the pastor at the time, he was getting his doctorate from up in Connecticut somewhere or that. And he was more interested in that than he was the flock. Oh. You know, he, but uh, anyhow, uh, things were said about, must have really sinned, uh, God take your child away. Mm. No. And uh, Arla said, if that's the kind of God there is, I don't want to go to church. And I agreed with her. So we didn't go for a while. Wow. Then Josh's mother, when she was 13... 
She came down with viral encephalitis, ended up in children's hospital, and we almost lost her. And that's when we decided to go back to church. We started attending that, and the kids got a little bit older. They got involved in the youth group and that. Of course, they had another change of, of uh, pastors there. They rotated them in and out a lot. He made the remark to, to Becky at one time that she asked him a question, and I couldn't tell you what the question was. She said, how come, and something, and uh, the pastor told her, well, you know, Becky, you can't believe everything in the Bible. And that just crushed her because she was really into it. So uh, she started going with friends to the real life in Salem. And finally, she talked us to going, and, and that was a shock to my system when I first <laughs> went there. Coming from the Methodist, yeah. Yes. But uh, it, it was very, the people were very nice, and uh, that's so we attended there and got to enjoy it. And that's probably, I went to an all-nighter out there with my son-in-law, David. It, was, it really hit me that time, and I think that's when I really, really got the fire. Just it really hit me uh, sitting there at like at five o'clock in the morning, sitting in a pew, and something just came over me. I felt it in my heart. This one year, I'm trying to think what year it was. Early '80s, '82, I think '83. Yeah, I remember a lot of those trips down to Florida. I remember the house there, and yeah, yeah, I I have a lot of good memories, good family memories down there. You remember Casey? He was the uh, Rottweiler. I was gonna, I, I don't. I do remember. Oh, Casey. I do remember uh, hitting all the the call for help buttons and yes. and the police coming, yeah. <laughs> like six squad cars pulling up outside. I thought it was a garage door opener. Yeah. Those call for help buttons are within child's reach, and they look just like a garage door opener. Oh. Yeah. And if you need to get your big wheel out of the garage, it seems like a perfectly rational thing to do to hit everyone you can find. Lesson learned. Yep. I still remember that. <laughs> Well, the whole story is he didn't reach it. He stood on the <laughs> turned up weight uh, a laundry basket upside down and stood on it. You don't remember that part? No, I do. I remember turning the laundry <laughs> yeah, basket and being like, "I know it's in here. I'm going to try to reach it and I'm going to do this." And I couldn't. And so then I, I was like, "Well, these look similar," so I just started hitting them. I was, I think, five well, or something. But the kid that worked for me, I worked at a bank down there in Florida then, and. Uh, Kid at work for me, Mike. He was like 20 years old, and he he went to see Josh because he thought Josh would be a magnet for girls. Oh, <laughs> there you go, bring him along. Yeah. <laughs> he went to borrow him. <laughs> Call that like your um wingman. Wingman. Five year old wingman. Wingman. So, Grandpa, what lights you up? I enjoy helping people. I enjoy being able to help people. I don't think there's anything better than watching someone that you can help. It hits me in the heart when I'm knowing I'm helping someone that needs help. And painting? Uh, yeah. I, or no? Yeah, I, I enjoy painting now. I hadn't painted an oil picture for 74 was the last one, so. Stop, so you're getting back around to it? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So I, the oil paints I'm using right now are over 35 years old. <laughs> Oh, Shine Podcast going to have to send you a gift. Yeah, well, I, got, I got other ones that haven't opened yet. So. Oh, are those also couple, 30 years old? Though? I got a couple kids that are taking care of me. Oh, that's so good. And they're fighting over pictures. So. <laughs> got to get I more painting it. out there. Yeah, really. I, I really enjoy grandkids and great grandkids. I enjoyed the sports. I enjoy watching Josh play. 
Katie played mm-hmm. every game. Jonathan, yeah, every game. I I just hit me when uh, when Michaela graduated and your mother and dad got an award for being involved in the athletic boosters for seventeen years. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, man, I've been coming here watching sports for seventeen years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had your seat. Yeah, I, I had my seat. Looking up to see you all the time. And then even I remember watching Kristen on on the internet, you know, their stream, watching yeah. her, and, and then seeing you and Grandma down on the court, you know, yeah. and dodging volleyballs yeah. down yeah. there. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, yeah. When yeah. when Arla got to be using a wheelchair and that, and you know, she still go to the games and that, and we start going down watching Kristen at Mount Vernon. We because I was retired then, and I yeah, we could go whenever we want. So if she was playing a home game. I mean, yeah. even yeah. your college-age grandkids we went, traveling for them, being present for them. Oh, we surprised Kristen a couple of times. Up at Cleveland, she played, and uh, no one was going to go. They didn't think, but uh, me and Arla went, found it. <laughs> and David was there, too, then. And, yeah. uh, That's there. so neat. The coach at Mount Vernon, he, uh, where they had the handicaps for the wheelchairs that was up looking down on the gym. It's a beautiful gym, but the bars— you know, for mm-hmm. was right in the line of sight of someone sitting in a wheelchair, right covering the court, and so she was having to duck down and not to see. And notice the, the coach's family sat down on the benches at the in the end in the bottom. I'm not sure if Kristen asked or who asked or if I asked or what, but and he said sure, right here. And so we would go down on the court and so Ooh. at the end there was there was benches down there, but we'd sit in front of the benches right in the middle of the court. You got like VIP. Oh yeah, you I deserve it. Knew all the girls. And yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, oh, that was they hit great. the ball hard, yeah. and uh, those. Those volleyballs come at you quick yeah. down at the court level. Yeah. Put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. I was, of course, I had to sit on the bench, and Arnold's wheelchair was sitting. There. So we, she was out closer than I was, and oh, every dang. once in a while, I'd have to really try to get out. Quick to get. That's your reflexes. But we, uh, she insisted at the first time we went up there, and, and she said, and the athletic director, they came over, and you know, they was really good. That we'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, a, a kid would come. And I said, this is from, oh, boy, I can't think of his name now. There was the athletic director. And he handed us a, a bottle of water and a, a bag of popcorn. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, people definitely noticed how much you cared. And yes. um, I've been the beneficiary of a lot of that. But, the, I mean, the final question I'll ask, I guess, is um, how are you letting your light shine now? And like I said, I've, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. You care so much about people and your family. And I've been able to experience that, you know, and you just being there and present in every game so much so that other people take note. And um, (laughs) so I've benefited from that. But I I'm going to follow the script and ask that last question. How do you let your light shine? Yeah, I just I enjoy helping people. I enjoy being around the grandkids and that. And me and Arla, we always people would say we work together in three different places. And they would say, how do you work together? We would drive to Pittsburgh every day, 72 miles from my driveway to the parking lot and back. And uh, they said, you're together all the time. And I said, well, first of all, she's not just my wife. She's my best friend. We uh, dated for two and a half years. We was engaged for you know almost two years before we married. We enjoyed stuff. We enjoyed about the same things. 
Oh, I feel like I'm it is a really beautiful here. thing yeah. when, I mean, you show up for your family and for your kids, but the uh, example of a really yeah. solid, long-lasting marriage speaks huge volumes. And I mean, I know that your friend said that, like, how can you do that? And yeah. why could you even spend that much time together? But we enjoyed each other's company. Being the example yeah. of marriage and true friendship. I'll ask. Okay. Have you, or do you have a story where you have experienced something supernatural or a time or an experience where God kind of stepped in and you knew it. You were like, wow, that was a God thing. When we was going to real life, I was laid off at the time. And Connie, my oldest daughter, she had gone to Kent, but she didn't go back the semester. And she had went out to, when she went out to the church, and I think it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and uh, talked to the pastor out there. She came back in, and I was laying on the couch because I wasn't feeling good. And she said, Dad, I have a question. Pastor Moore said I can go to Evangel College in Springfield, Missouri if I can be there by Friday. They'll accept me because class has already started. But if I can get there by Friday, they'll accept me. And I said, you know, Connie, how are you going to go? And he said, well, he says I can get a student loan. And I said, well, they ain't going to give me a alone I'm laid off and she said well I think we should go up and talk to the bank will you go and I said okay so we went up and talked I signed the papers they handed her a check and Wednesday night we went out to church service Pastor Moore had a special offering he announced that Connie was going to Springfield and a special offering for her and I remember they collected $75 and when we was going out to the car I said man that, that's that's amazing I looked in my Bible, and there was an envelope sticking out. And the envelope had two $50 bills in it. I said, where'd this come from? And Arla said, I don't know. The Bible is laying between us all time the service hmm. on the pew. We never seen anyone put that money in there. But that was enough money to get us out there, spend one night in a hotel, and come back the next morning. And Connie's books cost $75. Oh, my gosh. Oh. That really touched me. You were totally taken care of. I was the whole setup, yeah. down and back. Everything, and all of her everything books. fell right in place, and hmm. uh, you know, no problems. You know, I wasn't sure if our little car would make it out there. <laughs> Sixteen-hour drive, and and then mom went out there too. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Becky went to Evangel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She graduated two years. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. We'd drive out and see them, 16 hours out, and sometimes oh we went. Oh, my gosh. God bless you. Well, wow. a couple of times we drove out, picked them up, and drove them back and never stayed. You know, Just for holidays and stuff, yeah, for breaks? Yeah, 32 hours. Yeah. Oh, you guys are great. <laughs> well, this has been really great to just be able to hear all these stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're working hard for <laughs> your family, you know, yeah. and you're working not just for, for your kids, but for their kids and your your family down the line. And so mm-hmm. just sitting here listening, I was just struck by how hard you were working. And, and at the time, not even knowing that eventually I would be here, but all of your hard work, you know, has impacted me. But even more than that, Kate alluded to it as well. But I've been so impacted by seeing your relationship with grandma. I talked about that in my podcast, just how much that influenced me and my marriage. You know, I call Megan kid. I have totally stolen that from you. I saw how you treated grandma and always had her needs first in your mind, always. Even as a young kid, seeing that 
and understanding that and just it being so obvious and always wanted to treat my wife the way you treated grandma. You would say, you know, ready to go, kid? You know, you'd ask her that. And I kind of as a, as a nod to you guys, I have always called Megan kid. And that reminds me to try to, to treat my wife the way that you treated grandma. To me, when I look at you, that's the legacy that you have is just half of a really great love story i am just very thankful to you for sharing your story and then also just for the example that you have given me for how to to love really really amazingly i learned part of that from my dad my dad treated my mother real well and uh, he waited on her and you know whatever she wanted that was done i appreciate it yeah and we've talked about that, I think, in the Shine podcast before, just the le- legacy that families leave. And just if you don't have that, that you can start that legacy in your own family. And it's amazing that I get to sit here with you generations later, be impacted by your act. And right. You can change the course of your family. And there's exponential blessing, I think, down the line. And then to never consider any of that too little. Yeah. Yes. Like the everyday example of being present and showing up and loving, it makes a difference in your case through generations. Yeah. I guess now I start having to go to Waynesburg. Yeah. I know. Kayla. It's <laughs> out of here. Matter of fact, I was checking t-shirts last night Aww. and I came across one that said, Waynesburg Grandpa. So oh, I I that's so good. <laughs> Well, thank you, John, so much for coming and giving us your time. And thank you, Josh. Absolutely. (laughs) So much. This has been a real pleasure. (laughs) For filling in. And for you listeners, tune in next time for another special guest. Bye. Bye.